Hi, welcome to Talk in Their Language with Helen Bodell. I'm Helen, Segment Manager of EAL at Twinkle, and we are an educational podcast celebrating cultural diversity and languages across the world. Today we are joined by the brilliant Catherine Gladwell. Um, hi Catherine, it's great to have you on the show. Would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Absolutely. Um, thanks for having me, Helen. Um, I'm Catherine and I am Chief Executive at a charity called Refugee Education UK. Oh, thank you. Um, could you tell us about Refugee Education UK and how it began? Yeah, uh, so really we began around a kitchen table um, about 10 years ago. So I, um, I myself used to be a teacher um, and then after um, teaching for a few years, I began working as a support worker, an education support worker for um, newly arrived migrant children in the UK. Um, and then moved from that to working in education policy um, for an international NGO um, in education and emergencies. So I had kind of got to this point where I had seen um, education and um, the experience of being a refugee for children sort of intertwined um, in two different ways, one for new arrivals in the UK and one in sort of quite acute um, and raw crises in other in other countries. And I, uh, I, so I live in Halston in London, northwest London. Um, and at the time, um, going back almost 10 years, it was one of the areas in London that had the highest number of unaccompanied refugee and asylum seeking children. And so I thought, well, it's worth finding out what's going on in terms of education support for those young people. And so through various connections, I was able to talk with um, unaccompanied minors, teenagers um, in my local community. Um, and it came out that education support um, was a massive gap for them. And a lot of them were falling through the cracks. They were waiting for months to get school places. Um, and then even when they did get into school or to FE college, um, it was just really difficult to make the progress that they needed to make um, or just to stay in that classroom environment with everything else that was going on. Um, and so I got together with a few friends um, from my local church here in Halston um, uh, who had also kind of relevant professional backgrounds. And we just thought, you know, we've got a few hours a week each. We could set up a volunteer-led project and so initially, we partnered with the local further education college, College of Northwest London, to set up an educational mentoring program um, just to provide that bit of one to one academic and well-being support to 10 um, unaccompanied refugee and asylum seeking young people. Um, so that was 10 years ago now. Um, and we had no idea that um, it would gradually it would gradually grow to kind of what we are today. So we today we work with about directly with between seven and eight hundred refugee and asylum seeking young people each year um, through our kind of direct wow. education support programs and that's from primary right up to higher education um, and we do capacity building and training work with a few hundred schools colleges and universities um, across the country um, and we also really engage in research um, and policy work kind of looking both at refugee education in the UK and internationally um, and that that's you know, ranging from work that we've just decided ourselves to do because there's an evidence gap and we need to kind of find the data so that we know how to best respond or work that might be commissioned by the United Nations or kind of a government um, a government organisation. So we really kind of see that um, 
I guess that full circle of the one-to-one work with young people in our sort of range of grassroots local communities um, across the country um, and then that sort of policy level work that we hope will bring more systemic change. Fantastic wow 10 years um, and it's flown by as well that's amazing. It really has. I, I can't believe it's actually been 10 years. It's only when you say it out loud that you, um, you can't believe it. Yeah. Um, wow, that's amazing. Um, your ethos and values align with those that we sort of have at Twinkle that we want to give every person the chance to you know, shape their future. Could you tell us about your company's sort of missions and values and how that all began? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, everything that we do is about helping refugee children and young people to get into education, then to thrive in education once they're there, um, and then to be able to use that education in a way that is meaningful for them in the future. Um, So that kind of in a nutshell is what we do. In terms of our values and kind of how we do what we do, um, we have three core values, um, valuing the individual. um, And that really stems from just wanting kind of never to forget that, I mean, and this is kind of the bread and butter for a lot of teachers, isn't it? But never to forget that, you know, that one child that is in front of you at that moment really, really matters. Yeah. Um, and that the smallest of actions actually can shape futures that kids kind of go on, go on to live. Um, so valuing the individual, giving time to individual children and young people. Second value um, is a foundation of hope. So I think working in the context that we do, um, you know, we're working with young people who've experienced really, really difficult situations. Um, But we work from a place of believing that change is possible um, and that however difficult things get, that hope is a really powerful force um, and that coming from that perspective really does enable um, things to be put in place that can just be built on and that we can see we can see positive change um in part that's related to the um you know mentioned that we started because of a local church so um in part that's related to that kind of christian ethos that we have as an organization um that you know we have hope for a kind of renewed and transformed future and um for everybody um, and so we try yeah. to let that kind of flow out into our into our work, you know, with with our staff team of all religions and nationalities, and working with young people of all religions and and nationalities. But that value of hope really informs what we do. Um, and the final one is changing the landscape, yeah. um, and that in some ways is just in the hope that one day we won't even need to exist um, because all refugee children. Um, get places in school really quickly and thrive in school and have the futures that they, you know, that they have the potential for and that they, that they deserve. Um, But we are quite a long way off that, unfortunately, um, at the moment. Um, But we press on with the policy work and the research work in the hope that it contributes to, um, it contributes to that in the long term. Yeah, and it definitely will. Um, Yeah, we definitely still need you there supporting those people. Um, For now, for now. (laughs) Um, I know you're currently launching a new education welcome project, um, which will include new training on how to support the education and well-being of newly arrived refugees and asylum seekers. Uh, could you tell us all about this project that you're working on? Yeah, absolutely. So we realised, you know, over the course of the last year, when we've had sort of significant numbers of new arrivals from Afghanistan um, and now from Ukraine, um, that actually. Um, <laughs> 
all of our programs had long waiting lists in terms of our direct work um, and we needed to do something that would enable us to get sort of that basic level information and support out to larger numbers of people more rapidly so we've launched this education uh, welcome response program and our project manager is starting in a couple of weeks oh, so wow. it's like it's, it's almost ready to go so it's really exciting um, and it's got a few different components to it so um, firstly it is about it kind of like I just said getting basic information to as many people as possible um, who actually need it so children parents teenagers um, and so in that we have we produced in the summer um, an education welcome pack in Dari and Pashti for Afghan families and so we've kind of built on that and we've now produced that in um, in Ukrainian and over the course of the next few months we'll be looking to produce that in other languages where it's needed as well and that's going out kind of through local authorities, through school communities, um, through some emergency hotel um, accommodation um, setups um, to families and children. Um, and that just gives people an overview of the English education system, how you go about getting a school place, what to expect in your first week, sort of basic playground survival English and like stickers and colouring, things like that for kids to do in that immediate moment. Um, we then are looking at well, schools are really on the front line and we've had so many um, requests from schools. In fact, you know, our, our inboxes have been kind of overflowing with messages from head teachers saying, you know, I've just enrolled 20 refugee students. I don't know what to yeah. do. Like, they don't speak English or three of them speak English and three of them have no English and three of them are amazing at this and three of them are experiencing trauma and just like trying um, to wrap their heads around how, as a school, they should be responding. So we've put together a kind of introduction to supporting refugee children in schools training package that is free of charge. It's online. We know teachers are really, you know, busy and at capacity. So it's just, you know, there's an hour version and then there's an hour and a half version that includes questions and things like that. Um, so we're just trying to make some of that basic level information as accessible um, to as many people as possible. Um, we're also working on sort of more in-depth training programs um, in partnership with um, the University of Nottingham and sort of a sort of initial teacher training program and a, and a continuing professional development program um, that will be um, sort of much more in-depth and allow those who really do want to kind of boost their expertise much more to do so. But we just felt, you know, we also need that one hour essential information that everyone can do um however busy they are so that's coming out as well that I mean, it's been out for a few months but there'll be a whole range of new training dates coming out coming out soon um we're also going to be running just an in-person drop-in welcome clinics where people can come and just you know have a cup of tea there'll be volunteers around who've been trained in the basics of the UK education system and the common types of barriers and support people need um, they can bring the letter from the school that they don't understand or they can bring the letter from the council saying that they've been refused a school place or whatever it is um, and just get some in-person help um, that's only going to be in London initially but we would love to be able to roll it out um, in our other hubs across the country and in in, um, in in the Midlands in east of England in Oxfordshire um, but we step by step a bit at a time That'd be fantastic um, yeah, we've seen it on social media as well. A lot of um, requests, you know, sort of desperate pleas for, you know, resources and support and guidance. Yeah, and it just exactly it does it everywhere. So, you know, we're doing it really there. is. Yeah, brilliant work to try and help those people. But I think there's a lot of schools as well, isn't there, that have never had new arrivals before. 
maybe until these yeah. two crises recently. Yeah, absolutely. And it can be it can be really um, scary for schools just yeah. to think, oh, we really want to get this right, but we don't know where to start. And I think we, you know, we've worked with schools who've had one student and schools that have had 75 yeah. students. Um, and you just, there's a whole range of different types of interventions and support that um, work in different contexts that's as well, right. isn't it? So it's not one size fits all. And that's that's also a challenge. Uh, the personal stories of refugees um, that you've got on your website are truly inspirational. Uh, I've been reading them over the past week or so. Could you tell us a bit about those and how those came about? Um, so we have an amazing group of young people um, who are, you know, part of our organisation that have, you know, explicitly said, hey, we really want to be part of this changing the landscape and changing public perceptions on um, refugee children and young people. And we really want to sort of put our voice in the mix of why um, why education is so important for refugee children, what the challenges we face are, um, and to also just to celebrate the achievements that they have made, which are, you know, you know, frankly, just really remarkable. Um, and so we have um, we've put together a group of young people um, uh, who have just kindly given their time um, and uh, have a wonderful colleague called Moses who's kind of organised um, various sort of training events and skills building events for like young people specifically who want to have their voice in that sort of public sphere and want to contribute um through making making you know they're making their own videos they're making their own films they're um, putting their own sort of advocacy messages out there and um it's been brilliant I, I i genuinely um one of the biggest joys of my job over the last 10 years has just been the number of incredible um you know, determined resilient um immensely hardworking young people that I've just had the pleasure of getting to know um, and that's really just been a, an absolute honour. Stories I well recommend everybody that's listening um, to go and have a look on the website and I'll put the link um, in the bio but what do your advice be to educators listening that may be getting new arrivals in their settings currently um, and as we've said before that it is happening um, a lot at the moment that may have never had any refugees or EAL learners before what sort of your top tips that you could um, give the listeners today? Yeah, I mean, it's a great, it's a great question. I think, firstly, I would say if you are, um, you know, you mentioned EAL, and I would say 100% prioritise that as quickly as you can. And I know that's really difficult for schools, um, particularly in recent years, with some of the policy changes around the way that EAL is delivered, that it's very easy to say, you know, boost your EAL provision, and that's very, very difficult to do. Um, But um, it we did some research with UNICEF a couple of years ago about the barriers to um, refugee children thriving in education. And um, the the two um, most kind of substantial barriers that came out of that research were um, English language level and mental health challenges. And that's really backed up by the kind of in-person work that we do with refugee children and young people as well. And so I think I would say, um, and again, sort of framing it around those two kind of most common and substantial um, barriers. On the EAL side, anything that you can do as a school to give the children additional EAL support um, is brilliant and we've worked with schools who've got you know phenomenal embedded like EAL coordinators and like lots of a whole range of EAL um, activities and we've also worked with schools where um, despite having you know up to you know up to up to 50% of the children in the school with EAL needs 
have no dedicated resources for EAL and it's kind of done around the edges of other teachers' roles. But even in those contexts, things like, you know, setting up a after-school English club or a lunchtime English club that can run, you know, a couple of days a week just for an hour, manned by a couple of teachers. Even I mean, there's even been a couple of schools where we've like sent volunteers to support with that type of thing, um, where children get like that little extra injection or can bring things from their classes that they didn't understand and just get a little bit of like one to one sit down with someone help that they might not have been able to get in the in the in the mainstream session is really invaluable if you're working at that end where you're like, oh, we just don't have any resources. Like, what can we do? Um, we've also found schools engage um, and get a lot from um, partnering with other organisations. So the Bell Foundation, um, just as one example, I'm sure you are very, very familiar with, um, have got so many brilliant resources um, and they're starting to produce resources specifically with that lens of working with refugee and asylum seeking children as well. Um, so if you don't have a kind of dedicated EAL coordinator and a whole sort of assessment framework and everything like that, um, then really like look at what is out there in terms of other organisations that can um, can support with resources. Um, I think um, on the on the mental health side, that's often the most overwhelming thing um, for teachers. So we have a lot of teachers um, who will get in touch or heads who will get in touch saying, "Look, we've we're working with children with." Um, who've experienced trauma um, and experienced the types of distressing situations that you know we hope never to have to experience even as an adult Um, how do we manage that in the classroom and they're seeing all of the sort of fight or flight responses that you see when you're engaging with children who've experienced trauma of any kind Um, and again sometimes there is a setup within the school to really support that and there's you know an in-house um school kind of therapy provision or mental health support there and that's brilliant and making sure that those children are signposted to that is great um if it's not there um and there isn't any way to get it there then one of the things that we always say to teachers and again it's so simple but it's just what we've heard most from young people is that the thing that helped them the most when they were feeling distressed, when they were kind of going through grief, when they were adapting to their new surroundings, was literally having a teacher who was kind to them. And so sometimes I think we get caught up in, you know, unnecessarily sometimes in the fact that trauma is very complex and, you know, we we don't want to get it wrong. But in that, sometimes we can forget that actually showing kindness to a child, like, giving them that five minutes of individual attention, sitting down with them, taking the time to show them around the classroom, smiling at them when you talk to them, you know, like the really tiny micro details. Actually, those are the kinds of things that most often the children and young people that we work with pick out as the things that have actually made a difference to whether they feel like they belong in school or not. Having their name on a peg on the first day, you know, like little tiny details like that, really make all the difference um and so I would just want to encourage a teacher that you know if you are asking the question like how can I do it how can I do it right if there is a right you know for the these new refugee children that I'm working with your heart is probably already in the right place and I know that that doesn't make it easy and that it doesn't answer all of the questions but don't be paralyzed um into sort of forgetting that actually kindness friendliness warmth and care go a really long way um and like I say 
like you might be surprised that those are the things that kids pick up not you know uh it was so wonderful that I got to have a session with the school therapist even though like that obviously is of critical importance for some children yeah um so I think that I think the other thing that I would say is that there's a wonderful system out there um, or a wonderful scheme out there rather called Schools of Sanctuary, um, which is a um, kind of an accreditation s- system whereby students can, not students, sorry, where schools um, can sort of work towards getting um getting this accreditation and this mark as a school of sanctuary and that really does focus around like children's sense of belonging in the school and being part of a community yeah and so that I would encourage schools to look at that and then one of the things that we're also creating that I'll like share information with you about kind of going forward um and again we're doing this in partnership with Nottingham University um and their sort of um one of their professors of education is creating um a ladder of engagement so that schools whether they are in that sort of my gosh this is the first refugee student we've ever worked with or you know we've got 70 refugee students and we think we're doing this really well and we are doing this really well whatever level they're at they can find the next entry point for them as an institution as to what is the next thing we can do to improve on our provision Um, and that's looking at kind of various different pillars like like language learning like well-being like progression like access like family support Um, and so in each of those kind of thematic areas there'll be like this ladder starting with the most basic actions you can take and working up towards um things that you know are really concretely going to um change academic outcomes and sort of psychosocial outcomes for children because I think you know we start with belonging and welcome um and that's the foundation and then from there we're looking at okay but how do we actually need to change our curriculum or as a secondary school how can we create you know a package of GCSEs that has got EAL embedded into it that is going to like enable these children to get better grades than they might have done otherwise and so kind of right through that whole range um looking at the steps that can be taken um and then there'll be a training package coming off that um so and and this sort of schools of sanctuary model will be like you know that's kind of like the middle of the framework um so that will be like it will be linked into that as well um so that that would be a couple of pieces of advice if that's helpful Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, that'd be, um, that sounds so helpful out to schools, um, especially when you are at that higher level and you are doing really well. It's like, where can I, where can I improve is really important. Exactly. You know, yeah, exactly. So World Refugee Week um, is coming up this month um, and the theme is healing this year. Um, so if we look at the dictionary definition of healing, it means recovering from a painful experience or situation so that we can continue to live. And I think no one understands this better um, than those who've lost their homes and have had to build new lives from scratch. Um, how will your company be honouring World Refugee Day this year? Um, and have you got any plans? It's a great question. Um, so in some ways for us, every day is World Refugee Day. Um, in that we, I mean, and a lot of what we're trying to do is like, build off what people are doing around World Refugee Day and like use that fact that you know for that day and for that week people's attention is focused on this a bit more to kind of ask the question like what can you be doing over the longer term you know don't let this be just a day or just a week um celebrate celebrate the achievements um and the resilience of refugee children and young people and indeed you know entire families um and then don't just move on to the next thing but look at how can this be how can this be sort of embedded into what we do long term going forward um 
So in some ways, like, you know, we're not having a sort of massive event for World Refugee Day. Um, but what we're trying to do is kind of continue to support the young people that we work with to get their stories out there and get their voices out there and really amplify the advice that they would have for schools and for colleges and for universities, knowing that this is a time when people will be listening maybe a little bit more than they might otherwise have been. Take that opportunity, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, exactly really exactly um have you got any other things that you're currently working on that you'd like to share with us oh gosh yeah <laughs> um <laughs> yeah and a whole number of things I mean one thing that's actually quite interesting I'm thinking thinking about the sort of schools um in particular that we're working on at the moment is trying to look at what are the promising practices in refugee education that are coming um, out across Europe um, and also the US. So there was a really, really helpful and useful um, publication that came out a couple of years ago um, that was looking at promising practices in sort of in low income contexts and also kind of like, you know, immediate emergencies um, in education for refugee children. Um, which was fantastic, but that kind of highlighted the fact that there wasn't an equivalent for um, higher income contexts. And so um, in recent years, as countries across Europe um, and the US, Canada um, have had greater numbers of refugee children um, kind of entering the education system, um, there are you know wonderful examples of innovative good practice across a range of different sort of aspects of education that are kind of bubbling up across those countries and yet it's there's very little sort of cross-pollination and shared learning from those and you know we have conversations with schools in the UK and I just think oh you've just found you found like part of the solution you know in this particular area or in this particular thing um and then have you know similar conversations with people who are working with schools in Italy or in Sweden and you just think oh you've got kind of this example of good practice you've got that example of good practice and yet like you know we don't know about it we're not talking about it we're not like or bringing that together so um, we're um, we're working with um, a kind of a group of people across various different European um, and US um, organisations to put out over the next couple of months a call for good practices in refugee education. And so I'd really like encourage anyone who's listening, if you think like you're doing something good that other people could learn from um, you know, please keep an eye out and maybe I can send you the call for good practices when it um, comes out. Because we'd love to just, we just really, really want to like give a platform and visibility to the good things that schools and teachers are doing, you know, all across, all across the country, all across Europe, across the US and help, help us all to learn from each other. Um, and so we'll then be kind of drawing out the common threads and putting like a kind of showcasing good examples um and of you know together with some of the other organizations that we're working with. So like, maybe that's one example of something that um, I'm saying. Yeah. That'd be really exciting. I mean, everyone's working hard in isolation. Exactly. And like you say, you know, that was some amazing ideas and they're not realising yeah, yeah. You know, the phenomenon. One other thing that we're doing at the moment is um, that we are, we're trying to refurbish a derelict former bank um, in northwest London uh, that's been sort of empty for about five years, you know, like pigeons, mushrooms growing in the carpet, like that type of scenario um and we're going to turn it into um a education center for refugee children and young people um 
in London. Um, and so that that's ongoing. We're hoping, you know, as with all building projects at the moment, it's not without its challenges. Um, so we're still kind of fundraising to um, uh, like kind of close the final gap on the refurb for that. But we're hoping that um, it will be finished in sort of end of the summer, early autumn, um, and that that will be an actual real physical just one in one place so it's only like scratching the surface but be a really kind of physical place of belonging and well-being um for refugee children and young people um and you know and their family members and that it will be a place where people will be able to come and just get like really tangible in-person face-to-face support um you'll also be a home for our organization more broadly um in terms of a bit of a co-working space as well um and some other um social impact organizations too so um you know if you're if you're in London pop by come and say hello to us yeah. it's a building site at the moment yeah. so wait till the autumn but that's <laughs> a building at the moment as well the expense of everything going up um it's uh, yeah and that's why we're still fundraising for it um yeah. but um yes so yes but it will we will get there and it will be worth it in the end oh it'll be fantastic and that's a place where people feel safe and that they can get that support um, exactly and you can roll that out across the uk it'll be you know phenomenal won't it? absolutely absolutely that would be wonderful oh well thank you so much Catherine it's been um absolutely lovely to speak to you um your work is amazing and thank you for everything you're doing um and I hope it continues oh thank you so much and I should say that I'm also just a personal big fan of Twinkle and particularly I have a five-year-old daughter um and particularly in lockdown you know we were just I was like Download. I'm, you know, I'm not working as a teacher, but I joined Twinkle and downloading all the resources and printing out stuff, and she absolutely loved it. And so, even just as a parent, I think you know what what you guys do is just wonderful, and it's really, it's it's really just lovely to be connected with you. And um, yeah, let us know if there's anything that we can do together in the future. Oh, that would be fantastic to work with you in the future, definitely. Thanks, Catherine. All right, take care. This podcast is brought to you by Helen Bodell from Twinkle EAL. We have over 650,000 resources and you can find all of our EAL resources at www.twinkle.co.uk. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and Pinterest by searching Twinkle EAL.